It's time to don your best court gown and put your dancing shoes on, because today we're going to party like it's $14.99. Woo! We're going back to the Renaissance and are going to listen to some really neat dance music and learn all about the recorder today on... Classical Sprouts! Welcome to Classical Sprouts, the awesome classical music podcast for kids. I'm Kate Botello. Hi there. Today, we're going to have a special guest with us, playing some popular Old English and Renaissance dances and talking all about the instrument known as the recorder. But first, let's start with a question. Since we're dancing this week, our Quizlet is about dance. Did you know that ballet was based on a sport? What sport was it? Which sport was ballet based on? We'll even give you a hint along the way, so stick around for the end of the show. We will tell you the answer. Meet Sarah Hubes Schilling. Hi, I'm Sarah, and I play the recorder and a lot of other old instruments. She's an expert in early music. That's music composed roughly during the medieval and renaissance periods, roughly between the years 500 and 1500. Sarah's main instrument is the recorder, which you might play in school. But she didn't start out playing the recorder in elementary school like you might have. She came to it a little bit later. I actually did not learn the recorder until high school at the Interlochen Arts Camp. And then I kind of put it down for a while and I focused on very seriously on my modern oboe studies. And then in graduate school, I heard some really fun sounds, some Vivaldi Four Seasons coming from the early music room. And they really sounded like they were having a lot of fun. And there were things about how they were playing that were not perfect, that were gritty and kind of nasty and really communicated to me how rich this music could be. And so I started playing the recorder because I wanted to play even earlier music than Vivaldi. And the recorder became a really important instrument to know how to play, to play this earlier Renaissance and Baroque music. All right, let's get to the dancing. Now this first dance sounds a lot like both a big fight and a Christmas carol. How? Well, the dance is called a brawl. And even though that word sounds like what you call a big fight, a fist fight, a brawl, it's actually spelled B-R-A-N-S-L-E. And it's a really fun dance. Here's Sarah to tell us all about the brawl. So this particular dance, the brawl, is one of my favorites because it was used by all of the classes. It was used by peasants as well as knights as well as the aristocracy. And there are many forms of this kind of circle or line dance even today. Uh, this particular brawl was popular in the 1500s in France. That 
that piece was called Brawl Officiel, and it's by Arbo. You might recognize that tune as Ding Dong Merrily on High, which is a Christmas tune. Well, this original version is from the Renaissance, from a book about how to do dances from 1588. And the book has all these melodies in it. And then it has steps written next to that. So this, you step left, you step back, you step forward. So it's really a dance manual that this tune comes from. Um, later in the 1800s, John Woodward put words to it, Ding Don Merrily on High, and that's how we know it as the carol today. But in our Beau's version, we just have the melody and all of the steps for how to do a dance. recorder is very different from the one you might be used to in music class. So I was playing on some copies of Renaissance recorders, and recorders at school are usually copies of Baroque recorders. Um, But the instrument itself is different because the bottom of the instrument is, is quite full and it thins up in sound as you get up to the top. So it's a big lower register and then it thins out as you go up. And then a Baroque recorder is the opposite. The low notes, you can hardly hear them. They're really, really soft. But the high notes are really sweet and virtuosic. And this bears out in the music, too. In the Renaissance, you have a lot of this sort of group music that's music that was sung. It's like choral music, and you play it with a group of recorders. But in the Baroque, there's a lot more really fast, virtuosic, up-high type of writing. Well, that's, I don't know what came first, but that is the recorder was different from that time. That's so interesting. I guess maybe because Baroque is also so much about being that pearl, that very decorated, bright thing, right? Right. Showing off a lot. Yeah. And you can't see the recorders um, as you're listening, but the Renaissance recorders look pretty plain. They're pretty elegant. It's, It's a big stick. It's a little thicker at the bottom and it thins towards the top. Nice long stick, everything very symmetrical. Occasionally they would drill an extra hole at the bottom that you wouldn't use for music just so that it was even. So there was one on the right side and one on the left side. But a Baroque recorder is very ornamented. It looks a lot like a chess set, you know, like all the little turnings and really beautiful or like a cake or something. So the architecture from that time too. So that's another difference between this Renaissance and Baroque periods and instruments. That is so neat. Up next, the bassa dance. Now, you might imagine that playing the exact same thing over and over or doing the same dance steps over and over might get kind of boring, right? Well, the next dance provided some extra fun for the musicians and the dancers. The main quality of bassa dance is that it was highly improvised. So even the versions of this dance that we have written all out are really a composer or a performer noodling around something and then sort of trying to write down what they remembered. So in a lot of these pieces, we have mistakes. We have accidentals that don't really make sense and we have rhythms that don't quite fit in. But that's just what would happen if you're on a dance band on a stand and you're playing these songs night after night. It gets boring. So for this particular kind of dance, the bassa dance, It was a way for both the dancers and the musicians to improvise and to show off all these kind of uh, different things they could do. There was another reason this dance was so popular, and it's about money. This particular bossa dance is by Pierre Atenant, and he was known for 
printing a bunch of dances in the 1500s. Um, and one thing that's cool about how he printed the dances is he had a movable type. So you could print things much faster than if you had to have the whole page set up. You could just print one note at a time really quickly, like how we do on a computer. We do one letter at a time. And this was a new innovation in printing. So it made this music way more affordable and more available. So a lot of these dances became popular because they were affordable to buy the dance manuals. Basa means low, so you might think that means that the notes in the music are low. But in this instance, basa actually describes the dance steps. It's a low dance, basa for low, low to the ground, as opposed to some of the other dances where you might jump high up. Oh, that's really cool. I always wondered what made it a basa dance because I'm like, it doesn't mm. sound any lower. No, the steps are low. It's time to get low with the basa dance. Take it away, Sarah. All right, Sprouts, we're going to take a short break, but when we get back, we'll have a Quizlet hint for you, talk about how these dances might even relate to TikTok dances, and even the idea of doing a Queen Elizabeth dance workout. You're not going to want to miss this. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Classical Sprouts for even more fun facts about the topics covered in the show and more. Stick around, Sprouts. We'll see you after the break. Hi, I'm Keith Brown, and I'm the host of Gameplay. Every week on the show, I celebrate the amazing world of video game music with everything from beloved classics to brand new soundtracks. You can stream episodes at our website, GameplayShow.org. I hope you'll join me for this adventure. It is I, your host, Kate Botello, back with a hint for our Quizlet today. At the beginning of the episode, I asked you, which sport was the style of dance called ballet based on? Now, here's the hint. In ballet, you study using really specific positions for your feet and your arms, and the idea of specific body positions like that are also used in this sport. You think you know? Stick around until the end where we'll give you one last hint and also tell you the answer. But first, back to Sarah and her incredible recorder playing. Up next is a dance called the Courant. How's this one go, Sarah? This was a courant. Courant means running, which describes the quick steps in this dance. Uh, this dance was popular in the Renaissance, and the version I played was from Michael Pretorius's Terpsichore, a sort of late Renaissance publication. But it also is popular in the Baroque, and we see Bach um, vamping off these themes and putting dances together. In that time period, they maybe weren't danced to, just listened to, reminding you of what a dance would be. But in the Renaissance, certainly in 1600, when Pretorius published this, it would have been danced. 
And I love Pretorius because he wrote this collection called Terpsichore. Terpsichore is the muse or like a Greek god of dance and of singing. And this collection has over 300 pieces of instrumental music that are mostly dances. But in the whole collection, he doesn't really say what instruments to play on. So you have to just look, okay, those notes fit on this instrument and this one fits on this instrument. This is an elegant piece. Maybe I shouldn't play it on my Sopranino recorder, you know, or this is a really sprightly piece. Maybe I should play this on my tiny recorder and not on my lugubrious, beautiful bass gamba. So he sort of indirectly gives us hints about what instruments might work, but there's a lot of freedom and creativity deciding what instruments to play when you're playing these dances. Was this an affordable book when it came out? This was an affordable book when it came out. It was widely distributed. I don't know exactly the, um, the distribution of it, um, but it was printed many times, and that's usually an indicator that it was popular. If you're wondering how she came to play the recorder so well, Sarah's got a solid tip for all you recorderists and other aspiring musicians out there. Practice. Practice a little bit every day is going to work way better than cramming it all in before your concert or before your lesson. You know, if you're like, I can practice for one hour this week. All right. That is five to 10 minutes every day. Don't practice an hour at a time. Not in the beginning. You can work up to that, but practice. We've got two more dances for you, Sprouts, and on this next one, we're going to take it a little slower. But don't worry, we'll liven things back up at the end. A pavan might be the most important, most well-known Renaissance dance. It's a stately, slower dance, and it's used uh, for couples and for individuals. There's a lot of different versions of pavan. This piece I played was a pavan mille regret, and it's from a collection by Tilman Suzato called appropriately Dancery from the 1550s. The name pavan comes from the word paduana or padua, and so it means a piece of music or a dance that is typical to Padua, the region in Italy. The dance also became popular in Spain, France, Italy, and in the New World with various versions and steps, but it always retained that sort of slower, stately type of dance, and it later becomes the Almond and the Courant, these really elegant dances. Those are a little more moderate tempo, but the Pavan known for being a stately, slow dance. We think of a dance as something you go and do nowadays, but in, in the Renaissance and the Baroque and really well into the 20th century, dance was a very central social component of your life. Can't really overstate how popular and common all these dances were at the time. It's sort of something hard for us to imagine now, um, but it, it was really an everyday activity at that time. Bigger than TikTok. <laughs> bigger than TikTok. Yeah, but sort of like TikTok, also a way to spread things. So there would be maybe one step somebody did one time and someone else thought that was cool. And then that became a step typical of a certain place or a certain family. And it became their signature step, like a, like a TikTok dance, I guess. <laughs> That's very cool. <laughs> and our final dance, the Galliard. Thank you. 
Galliard, like a pavan, is one of the most well-known Renaissance dances. The Galliard is the quick dance. I played the Earl of Essex Galliard by really well-known English lutenist and composer John Dowland. A Galliard is a quick dance, quick and jumpy. This is one of these dances with specific choreographed steps. You would come to your dance master, I want to do this Galliard, I want to do this Galliard, and I'll just slap the rhythm a little bit. So you hear that gallopiness of it, and it has to be quick enough that you're inspired to leap up, but slow enough that the coming down, you know, is at the right pace. Galliard is mostly a professional dance, but we do see a lot of the aristocracy spending time on this dance. It was one of Queen Elizabeth's favorite dances, a very athletic dance. So instead of going on her, you know, morning 5K run, she would do a set of seven galliards, which I have to assume isn't just seven patterns of that, but seven different dances of that. Probably a good like half hour of just jumping around. The Queen Elizabeth Workout. The Queen Elizabeth Workout. The Galliard. And seven and press again. Press, 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 press. Thanks so much for joining us, Sarah. At the beginning of the episode, I asked you this question. The style of dance called ballet was based on a sport. What sport was it? Well, we gave you the hint that in ballet, you study using specific positions for your feet and your arms, and the idea of specific body positions like that are used in this sport. And we'll give you one more hint. Aside from your body, in ballet, your main equipment is usually a special pair of shoes. In this sport, your main equipment is called a foil. Any guesses? Well, here's the answer. It is... Fencing! On guard! Fence! Fencing was one of the first sports to be played in the Olympics. Based on the traditional skills of swordsmanship, players dress in full body protective uniform and a full face helmet and have three different kinds of swords, called a foil, an epee, and a saber. On go! Make sure to rate and follow us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify to always know when the newest episode is released. And you can always check out our website, classicalsprouts.org, to watch videos of some of the dances that Sarah shared with us today. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. This episode was written and produced by Emily Duncan Wilson with support from Amanda Sewell. Our digital content manager is Casey Brown. I'm Kate Botello. Bye! Interlocking Public Radio!